Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and you are in for a treat today because we got the one and only Jeff Watson on the line with us. And I'm excited about this podcast for a lot of reasons. I've been trying to get Jeff on for the longest time. And I saw him at a workshop recently and I said, hey, can I get you on the show? He said, yes, he was gracious enough. And uh, we're going to be talking about things that I know a lot of you are really, really interested in. And we're going to be talking about the legalities of wholesaling, how to do it the wrong way, how to do it the right way. And this is going to be really informative. And this is a very, very important topic that um, you can't ignore, okay? You, you can't just think that... Well, ignore it at your peril. Joe, I'm sorry to interrupt, but man, ignore it at your peril, you know? Yes, you could. Ignore yeah. it, of course, if you wanted to. <laughs> All right, so first, guys, if you like the show, you know I always say this, leave a review. Go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you go, leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you like and don't like about the show. It'd be cool. Also, check out the show notes. I'm sure we'll be giving you some links and some resources on this podcast. So you can get all the show notes at realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes, watch previous, listen to previous episodes and all that good stuff. So uh, Jeff from Ohio, I forget where in Ohio, but welcome to the show. I live in a very, thank you. Uh, great to be here. I live in a little town called Conneaut. Most people okay. can't pronounce it when they see it, but that's okay. I'm in the far northeast tip of the state, and it's just a beautiful, dreary day here in Conneaut, Ohio. And Joe, you and I have been trying to connect this thing for months, mm-hmm. and today is the day. We finally get it done. <laughs> yeah. All right. So all right. Let, let's, let's give a little context to all of this. Jeff, what is your background? How did you get started in, in, interested in real estate? Oh man, I'll I'll keep it short because we're we got some hard time limits here. I've been a real estate investor since January of 1994. I was inspired to invest in real estate by an uncle of mine, one of my mom's older brothers, who I watched him. He became a hero of mine. The guy never got past the eighth grade. A little bit of a learning disability, a little bit of a speech impediment, attention deficit disorder, et cetera, et cetera. But he made his first couple million in residential real estate in California. And then just kept growing and become a better, smarter, savvier investor. And I remember, remember the lecture, not the lecture, but I remember the importance of learning from him how to understand the tax code and how it impacted you, what you did in business. I also was studying to be a lawyer, at the t- you know, going to college, planning to be a lawyer. So I kept the two going together. And real estate investing for me has always been a part-time thing. So maybe that's why I've never mastered it. So that might be why it's been so long for me to get on the mastery podcast call here, because I've not mastered it yet after, you know, doing it for 24 years, I'm still figuring it out. Anyhow, I practice law full-time. I'm limiting my practice in the real estate space to just a couple of things. If it's not regarding the legality of wholesaling, if it doesn't involve a self-directed retirement account, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Don't have time. And um, that's that's kind of where it sums up, man. All right. So what got you in? Because the, the, the purpose of today's show is to talk about the right and the wrong way to do wholesaling. What got yeah. you? Oh, yeah. There's I know a, you love talking about this. It doesn't get old, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's, this is, 
Okay, so I have a I'm I'm privileged to represent some really significant entities and organizations in the real estate space. It's just I just I'm blown away by some of the people that ask me to represent them. And one of my clients, a large national organization, was caught completely off guard by a quarterly publication issued by the Ohio Division of Real Estate where it contained a really short two or three paragraph article warning brokers and agents in Ohio to not work with wholesalers. I remember seeing that. I've read that. And, you know, I can't go into all of the politics behind it and so on, but there's, it's so deep. It's so rich, but it's, what happened is this, we read it, we saw it and people started panicking. And I said, listen, here's what we've got to do. We've got to use some of our political resources in the state. We've got to use some of our political capital. We made the decision. We called a very well-connected guy who's a good friend of mine. And in 72 hours, we had a face-to-face sit-down with the superintendent of the Ohio Division of Real Estate. And we began to figure out what they meant with that and where they were going. And it led to a video that I was able to record with two members of the Ohio Division of Real Estate. And that video is still to this day hosted on the homepage of the Ohio Division of Real Estate. It's used now to educate and train every agent studying to, for their license in the state of Ohio. And it's also being used to influence and educate investigators and regulators in dozens of other states as part of the Arello organization. So that little thing, that little two or three paragraph article and the fact that we had the relationships to get in the room with the right people and create a positive working relationship catapulted me from oh yeah, I understand about wholesaling to really beginning to understand what regulators are looking for, how they interpret the code. And I've come to realize, Joe, that wholesaling has been taught for decades by an unbelievable number of wise, smart people, but it's all been taught wrong. They all have this, they all have these fundamental misunderstandings of real estate law in their state. And we should note this too. Most states have the same exact law on the books, right? They have about two. There's two different phraseologies that you'll see. There's the phrase of who for another for a fee. Mm -hmm. And then you'll also see the phrase for your own account, own account and for another. Those are the two. There's two different variations, but they come down to the same thing. If you're doing it for yourself as a principal, so that's the first word everybody's got to write down. Be a principal. Always be a principal. Okay? That means you're either a buyer or a seller. You're not mm-hmm. a yenta. You're not a matchmaker. You're not coupling people up. You're not putting deals together. You're not representing clients unless you're a licensed agent or attorney or therapist. Okay? Therapist. Sometimes you got to be all three. Sometimes you got to be all three in these things. <laughs> but anyhow, um, you're not. So you've got to be a principal. And so either you're doing it for your own account or you're not doing it for another. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah. So what we're talking about is brokering. We're talking about wholesaling and brokering without a license. In all 50 states, brokering without a license is illegal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have what you might consider equitable interest or your principal in the contract. What matters is what the Real Estate Commission, which by the way is usually made up of 95% realtors, right? What 
doesn't matter what you think, it matters what they think. And so you need to be very, very careful. Yep. About yep. It matters what they think and it matters what the investigators and regulators think. And you've got to know what they're looking for and avoid the tripwires that are out there. And I'm going to tell you, Joe, and you've seen this hundreds of times like I have. Social media is the main tripwire that most of these people hit, trip over, and explode themselves, and they don't even realize it. Well, what do you mean by that? Explain that. Well, social media is a favorite area where people will go out and illegally broker a deal. Dude, is that Chick-fil-A? <laughs> it's Smoothie King. Okay. Okay. It's okay. I'm calming down now. Okay. I'm calming down. I mean, you show me something Chick-fil-A and I just get all excited. Okay. Starbucks, Chick-fil-A. Chick it would be sweet tea. And that's yeah. really, really bad for you. Sweet tea is just as bad as Coke. Well, I don't drink sweet tea. I drink, I drink an Arnold Palmer from Chick-fil-A, but oh. you know, now we're getting personal, so we'll back off. Okay. <laughs> but everybody now knows that I'm, that I'm not some robot. I actually, you know, I actually like certain things. <laughs> I've been, I've been accused of just being a dry, sour, dour robot when it comes to wholesaling, you know? You've been, but, I, I, let me do give you little guys a little context of this too. If you guys don't know Jeff, we'll give you a link where you can watch these videos he was talking about in just a minute. But, um, Jeff single-handedly shook up the entire wholesaling industry about three or four, maybe, well, how long ago was that? Four or five years ago? That's about three, two and a half, three years ago. We, we turned it completely crazy. Yeah. All because he had the crazy idea to go sit down with some actual real estate commission people and ask them the hard questions and be willing yeah. to say, hey, listen, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And when he posted those videos, man, I remember the Facebook, the, the things on bigger pockets, all those different forums and discussion groups just exploded. Everyone starts freaking out. And so, you know, things have calmed down and quieted down a little bit, but still it's, I mean, obviously it's still important. We're talking about it still today. And this is really, really critical and important for any of you out there wanting to wholesale, wanting to do lease options, wanting to do short sales, rehabbing it, uh, even in buy and hold, you know, like you need to know these things and make sure you're doing it the right way. All right. So yeah, just, just a little bit more background tomorrow. I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying to a mid-year conference being put on by Arello association of real estate license law officials. I'll be hanging out with a couple hundred of them. Wow. And I'm going to tell you right now, flat up, I'm the only real estate investor I'm the only real estate information marketer, consultant, advisor that's going to be there. Nobody else will be there. It's no one else is that no one else is invited. Let's leave it at that. No one else is invited. All right, good. So we're going to dive into this. <laughs> let, let, let's talk about wholesaling is when I'm going to give my definition and you're probably going to shoot holes in it. All right. Well, let's, let's, we'll let's, let's, let's define wholesaling. Okay. Wholesaling is when you get a property under contract to buy it and you flip or sell that contract to somebody else for a fee, for an assignment fee. Maybe you double close. That's pretty much basic, most basic definition of wholesaling. Did I, is that fair? Did I do that right? You did pretty good. You mixed it a little bit, but you were really, you're pretty, you're pretty good. You're pretty right. good. So I'll split it down the middle. Wholesaling is where you acquire an asset at below market value and quickly resell it. 
That's for at or close to market value. You may resell it by assigning your contractual interest, or you may resell it after you acquire title to it, i.e. the double close that you mentioned too. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, so what are some of the mistakes you're seeing people make right now, Jeff, in Ohio, because kind of that's been the hotbed of all of this, but what, what are some of the mistakes you're seeing people make? I'm seeing people make mistakes everywhere, but and it, but it's 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 really a couple of things. Number one, the biggest mistake is they think that the moment they get a property under contract, they think they act and act like they own the house, and they can't. They can't. Not until they close on the deal and actually take title to it, you know, accept delivery of an executed deed, then they own the house. The second biggest thing I see is what I consider to be blatant or deceptive false marketing by most wholesalers. Let me explain. They're out there going, I buy houses, I close quickly, I pay cash. And they never, ever, ever close. Mm -hmm. You're full of crap. If you're going to say in your marketing, if you're going to say in your bandit signs, if you're going to say in your postcards, your emails, your newsletters, your direct mail, whatever it is, if you're going to say that, that you buy, I buy houses, I close quickly, I pay cash, then freaking do it. Show up at the closing table, take title, you know? Oh, by the way, a lot of my clients that have listened to my advice, they now do fewer deals, make more money, and have less less brain damage. I think that's a pretty good deal, mm-hmm. you know? All right, so people, a lot of wholesalers are, are falsely advertising. Yes. To, to, on the buy, on the acquisition side. They're also and then they're advertising. falsely advertising on the disposition side because they're acting like they own a house that they don't own. So and they're going to say, oh, but I own an equitable interest. Well, yeah, great. Okay. First of all, you stole the whole equitable interest idea from me back 10 years ago when I was showing you how to use it as part of a short sale transaction involving an option contract where you actually paid consideration for just the option and you recorded the notice of option and you had two real estate agents involved. So don't give me that equitable interest crap. Secondly, some states don't even recognize an equitable interest. Third, an equitable interest doesn't give you the right to sell the house in any state. There, I'll settle back down. <laughs> okay. All right. So what are some of the, the wrong ways to advertise a wholesaling deal? Anytime you start advertising a house that you don't own, start showing pictures of the house, giving out addresses and so on. I think you got a problem. You know, Texas is a little more lenient. Some states are a little more lenient than Ohio. But if you want to play it safe across the board in all 50 states, you put a house under contract, you go ahead and say in your marketing, contract for sale, three-bedroom, two-bath bungalow in the Lakewood Heights subdivision, phone number, bam. Any investor that's interested in the Lakewood Heights subdivision looking for a three-bedroom, two-bath condo, you know, whatever, man, call. If you're not, don't care. They, you know, if you're not in the lake, if that's not your part of your sweet spot, if that's not the market you're working in, they're going to ignore you. Yeah. You know? So the key here is you're advertising the contract. Yes. You own the contract, right? Yes. Well, you're a principal, you're a party to the contract, assuming that you're doing it right. Yeah. Assuming you got that part right. Assuming that your name or the name of your entity is on the contract as a buyer and you or one of your employees has signed the contract on your behalf, not an acquisition agent working as a independent contractor. That's a, that's the next big tripwire I see. So many people have these acquisitions people and they 1099 them because they don't want to pay payroll tax. Okay. I got that. But 
the states do not allow them to work as an independent contractor acquiring contracts for you, somebody else, to sell the to buy. They've got to be a licensed agent to fulfill that role. That or they've got to be an employee of the company that's actually on the contract, and it's got to be part of their designated written job duties as an employee to go out and put properties under contract. Yeah, yeah, very good. So there's a lot of acting. So everybody running around going, oh, man, my business is starting to get big. You know, I'm mailing 5,000 pieces a week and I'm getting 20 phone calls. I better hire an acquisitions guy. Well, all you people are now really mad at me because you're doing it wrong. So what should care. they do? Should they just uh, W-2 those acquisitions? W-2 them or make them go get a real estate license and hang their license with a broker that lets them do that. Either way, W-2 or, you know, the other. I've been harping for years for people to go ahead and get their license. I understand well, the argument both ways. Yeah. A wholesaler doesn't have to get a license if they're right. always buying for themselves. Yes. And it puts an extra burden on them in one respect, but it gives them more rights and power in another respect. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's not a bad thing. I've, yeah, I I've always recommended it because I do a lot of lease options. And um, so yeah. sometimes it, 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 for me, it gives me more, excuse me, it gives me more, options, more different things that I could do. And, and a lot of times as a realtor doing a lease option, I might make more money doing this as a listing, getting the front end 3% and the back end 3% than I would if I'm just doing it as a wholesaler. But yep. I think with what you're doing, your business model, becoming a licensed agent is really a smart idea. Fair the much other so. thing that I've been recommended for years since I created my course was to hire a realtor to market the contract for me. And uh, I'm not that that may be subject to a different interpretation by different states, but what I have found in my experience that's helped me a lot avoid the brokering without a license issues with just by hiring a realtor to market the contract for me. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Is that a bad idea? No, it's a good idea. It's a good idea, and you just have to make sure you've got a very careful distinction there because that agent who's marketing the contract needs to make sure that they're disclosing it's a contract that's for sale. And they're representing the principal who holds the contract. There's structures that I've seen, and actually I built this into the option contract for short sales to where we would modify the listing agreement, allowing the agent representing the contract holder to market the actual property. And that's only in a short sale situation, and that's where there's a written agreement in writing from the owner of record allowing the property to be marketed. So you got some issues there, but I bring that up, Joe, because one of the things that just pushes one of my buttons is there's somebody out there, I don't know who it is, but there's some guru out there selling a wholesaling course that has a purchase and sales agreement in it that is a blatant plagiaristic ripoff of a contract I wrote for short sales, and they forgot to make it look right for wholesaling, and they include bad language in there, but it's still out there in their course that they're pimping, so... <laughs> it's not me, and is it? it? <laughs> I don't I don't know who it is. And I can tell you this. One of the investigators for the Ohio Division of Real Estate found it and he just, you know, he was like, cannot believe that somebody's out using this to wholesale a house with. Yeah, but anyhow, it's the same investigator that wrote the article that started this whole thing too. So anyhow. <laughs> I hope it's not me. All right. So uh, I, I hope not too. I hope not too. Yeah. I, Okay, so let's. Uh, there's the the wrong way to do it is to basically advertise the house um, mm -hmm. when uh, you don't own it. When you don't own it, and not 
fully disclose and be honest and truthful with the seller up front with what your intentions are, right? Yeah, let's let's be clear about this. I'm glad you brought that up because if you're going into a contract that says, hey, listen, I know my marketing said I buy houses, but I'm putting this house under contract, not because I plan on buying the house, but because I plan on assigning it to somebody else. I think you're already in a hole right there. Okay? I think you're already in a hole right there. And you've got to have the intent and capacity to perform according to the terms of the contract that you're entering into. Otherwise, you're committing fraud. Now, someone's going to say, oh, but Joe, but Jeff, no one will ever know because no one can read my mind at the time. Well, I got news for you. You put 20 houses under contract and you don't close on any of them and you never had any money in your bank and you never had any private lenders lined up and you never had any lines of credit available. It's pretty easy to figure out what you were doing. So the intent and capacity, I've heard you talk about that a lot. Yeah. You got, you got it. When you're negotiating to a contract, man, there are elements to a contract. Yeah. You got to have the intent. You got to have the capacity. What if somebody committing fraud? Otherwise you're, otherwise you're just a lion sack of crew of poo, you know? Would it make a difference if you were using an option contract initially instead of a purchase and sale agreement? Oh, so you're putting a contract together to get an option on the property. I would be, yeah. What if I got... Then you can market your option, which is then the right to get into a contract with somebody else. Yes. So to me, you're taking a step back by doing that. Taking a step, well, explain that a little bit. Why would it be a, t- okay. a step back to you? If I'm going to get an agreement to where I have an option to buy, which means then the, the option to buy gives me then the right to enter into a full formal contract. I'm one step back from where just entering into a contract. You follow me? I've taken one more step away from the closing table. What I really should do is have the intent and capacity to actually close on some of these things, which means I'm going to make my offers to where it makes sense to double close. I'm going to have a private lender lined up. I'm going to have transactional funding. I'm going to have a few bucks on the side for earnest money and closing costs and everything else. So I can fund these deals. One of the and things then I'm going to get them, get them yeah. to get a price tag where I can afford to double close. <clears throat> and then guess what? I look pure, clean, driven, white snow in the eyes of regulators. The cool thing about that, Jeff, which I love, and I'm so passionate about this is because if if you if a lender won't lend on the deal, if you can't get transactional funding, if you can't get hard money on that, it wasn't a deal to begin with. So Amen. this is actually helpful for beginning wholesalers out there. This is like a uh, like a, a way to prevent you from getting into bad deals. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because we pray that you're using a private lender or a transactional lender that actually has more experience than you do because most wholesalers are usually new at the business until they really kick it into gear and get savvy at it, you know? All right. So um, but if, I get, I get, I get, let me just stop you one second. Just, just so people understand where I'm coming from. Not only do I work with regulators in multiple states on legality of wholesaling, but I have a client base of wholesalers. I'm, and I'm talking big dog wholesalers that if you took them all together and added them up, they're probably doing two to three deals a day, 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. So my client base is buying and selling a lot of houses. Mm-hmm. And they're doing yeah. it the right way, right? If they're listening to me, they're doing it the right way. You know, right, and so it doesn't say- matter whether they're in Texas, Florida, Indiana, Illinois, California, Colorado. It doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're doing it in all those states. All right. So let's say you have a wholesaler who's doing it right, who has the intent and capacity 
to close on this deal, what's the best way to wholesale it? What do they do with that? If they, they want to, okay. what do they do? They got two choices. They got, they, there's two things that they can do while it's still under contract. And before the closing, they can market the contract. They can market the contract to the entire general public. They can also market the deal with a little more information to their private confidential do not forward this, do not share this, do not try and co-wholesale or pimp this deal list of qualified, reputable buyers, you know, landlord, rehabbers, et cetera. Okay. They can do that. So they can start lining stuff up and then they can always do what I think is the best gig out there, which is close on it and then, you know, wash the windows, clean the carpets, paint some trim, mow the lawn and sell it using a licensed agent to list it and attract a horde of deal hungry, starving for a deal investors mm-hmm. that think that the only place you can find a deal is on the MLS. Mm-hmm. So you're and then saying they can build a nice big buyers list off of it. Yeah. You're saying you can get better buyers who pay more by putting it yes. on the MLS. Yes. Oh, can you imagine that? Making more money on a wholesale deal because you took your time and slowed down. Yeah. Wow. Instead of instead of like, okay, it's a hot potato burning my hands. I got to flip it off to somebody else for three grand. Why don't you cradle the thing, nurture it, close on it, clean it up a little bit, whether you wholesale it or not, I don't care, and make more money. And oh, by the way, build your buyers list at the same time. Yeah, that's good. Man. That's what, that's, you know, that's what my guys in Florida, Texas, Indiana, Ohio, that's what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And the guys in California, they just figured out for simple survival mode, just to keep anybody else from screwing their deal up, they just double close on everything. As soon as you know? they can. Yeah. As soon as they can, because the moment they can get it, the moment they can get to the closing table and take title to it, no one else can interfere with it. No one else can undercut them, chop them out, whatever, you know? Let's talk about contingencies in the contract. What are yeah, the yeah. contingencies to have and what are the bad ones? Well, there's, a, there's, there's some really good contingencies that you need to have. Number one is you need to have an inspection clause. Okay, you got to have an inspection clause. But please do not have an inspection clause that allows you to parade 99 people through there at any time of any day. Okay, it's got to be on reasonable access on a mutually agreed upon date, time and manner. Okay inspection clause. And I would tell you to make sure you've got an inspection clause that says you can check the place out again a day or two before closing, just to make sure that the furnace and the hot water tank didn't sprout legs and move. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, yep. I've seen that happen, man. All right. It's also amazing when people start moving their stuff out of a house, the defects in the walls and the plumbing that start to appear. Oh yeah. Mm, maybe you want to do that walkthrough just before, after they've got the load, load, moving truck loaded up. Second thing that I would tell you to do is always make sure that you control who the title company is. Don't let anybody else control that. Third thing is make sure that you control when the closing date is. And the next thing is make sure that you always have the right to rescind if the property title, the title of the property isn't good and make sure you always have the right to rescind losing just your earnest money and make sure it's substantial earnest money, three, 500 bucks. Make sure you can always back out if the condition of the property is materially different anytime prior to closing than when you put it under contract. What is a good inspection period? How many weeks? Weeks? Come on, man. You, you, you got to be able to walk through the house and put it under contract pretty quickly. So give yourself another two weeks after that. And then you want to have a walk through day or two before closing. 
You know, okay. so I'm assuming you're going to double close on the sucker. A couple okay. of weeks, you know, let's say my, how, how would I say this without making you mad? <laughs> Dude, don't just say it. Just say it. Let's I, know, say I know what you're thinking. Everybody wants to put it under contract and leave the inspection period up until like, you know, the, the day before closing so that they can parade as many people in because they're trying to sign the contract rather than being diligent enough to actually close on the deal and make more money. I got you. Right, and you so, got to change that kind of lazy, stupid, stinking thinking. And you got to come back and go, you know what? I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to make more money. That's a great point. That's a great point. Just, right, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything, Joe. I'm just speaking in generalities, man. Well, I, Cause if I, thought, at, if I thought you were doing it wrong, we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the perspective of somebody who maybe is just getting started. Yeah. And, uh, and they're listening to the wrong people. You know, cause that, I, I mean, okay, well, I hear it all the time. But you know, let's say, oh, they, but the guy I bought the course from for $97 says I can just assign everything. You know, one of my favorite lines was at the last time I hung out at an Arello event, one of my friends came up to me, one of the, I mean, the co-chair of a certain committee, very powerful committee. She comes up to me and she goes, you know, she said, I just saw some wholesaler the other day make a comment. And she said, a good wholesaler never takes title to property. And she and I just kind of looked at each other and go like, how stuck on stupid is that? Yeah. You know? A good wholesaler takes title to property because they're going to make more money. Yeah, that, well, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift, isn't it? It is. It's a huge one. That's because, that's because, Joe, all the way back to the first time I heard somebody teach wholesaling, which was 1990. Okay? 1990. So that was what? 28, 28 years. years ago. Okay? Back when you were probably what? Elementary Six, school? 16. Okay. Wow. Okay. So back before you even knew what 26. real estate was, right? 26. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm messing at you. So all the way back in 1990, when I heard people teaching wholesaling back then, they were teaching it wrong. So we've got nearly th at least three decades of misinformation piled on top of each other. Yeah. Okay. So let's say somebody's new. They just want to do their first deal. And yeah, they don't, is, is the first step, find a transactional lender, private lender, hard money lender guy, get the money? Or is the first step, start marketing, get a property under contract? Neither. Okay. What would Neither. Be the, first the first step is start telling your friends, neighbors, and relatives that, hey, you know what? I've decided that I'm going to start doing a little bit of stuff in real estate. So if you know of somebody that's got a house that they need to sell, give me a call. I'll see if I can help them out. That's the first thing they need to do. How, what did that cost them? Nothing. What did that cost them? Nothing. A little bit of this. Right. And they're starting to network. Then the next thing they need to do is create an elevator speech. They need to create a real simple elevator speech where the listener is the hero in the conversation. You know? Hey, I help people get out of problems. Or, you know, I'm, I like to assist people in making their lives better by getting rid of unwanted real estate. You know, whatever. However you want to phrase it. You know, you can do a better job than what I just gave you those quick examples there. So then once they start putting that word of mouth out there, then the next thing they need to do is figure out where is their target market, where they want to do deals. Okay, let's get really good at knowing where people want to buy. So maybe you're going to have to go meet a couple of real estate agents and say, hey, where are the cash buyers buying right now? Where are the fish biting? Okay, what do they want? Mm -hmm. What are the rehabbers buying? The cash buying landlords, where are they buying? What are they looking for? Okay, now I got an idea of what markets, neighborhoods, subdivisions to start looking in. 
that's all what? That costs you maybe 50 bucks for, you know, dinner to gift card to a real estate agent for letting you have that kind of time with them on the MLS. Sure. Okay. Then the next step is, okay, let's see who's in my area that does transactional funding. Are they three-day people? Are they 30-day people? You really want to find the 30-day lenders. What are their terms and conditions? Get to know them so that you can incorporate that into your buying, buying, you know, start to use that to build your buying program. That's what I do, you know? And I haven't spent a dime on marketing yet, have I? Nope. Because why? I'm still trying to figure out what I'm looking for. I got to figure out what constitutes a deal so that I know what I find it. I got it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. All right. So um, could your buyer that you're going to assign the contract to, could they be a transactional lender? Is there a way to get around and do it that way? Yes. If, if they consent in writing to their cash funds, not borrowed proceeds, but their own cash funds being used to fund the A to B of the A to B, B to C double closing transaction. Yes, you can do that. But that's why you have to control the title company. You have to make sure the title company. You have to control the title company and you have to get the end buyer's acknowledgement in writing, specifically acknowledging that their funds are going to be used through what we would call a pass-through situation, Mm -hmm. which means you're going to want to close these things back-to-back date, you know, morning, evening, one day, next day, whatever. And you want to make sure if you're going to set that up, you're going to want to make sure that you attracted that person through word of mouth mm-hmm. advertising say hey i show up at a local meetup or real estate investor group going i got a contract on a three bedroom two bath bungalow in the lakewood heights subdivision it's 1600 square feet i'm asking $97,000 for this home all fixed up it's worth 180 mhm I, I think everybody needs to rewind about 1 minute there and listen to Dude, what, I'm serious. You and I just gave him a huge amount of content in the last couple minutes. You just need to rewind and uh, pick up what we just laid down for you. You know what? Make them rewind it at least twice and take some <laughs> notes because, dude, you, you, just, you just set it up, man, and we just poured right out. That is awesome. All right, so I got some other questions for you. Uh, All right. Let's say, you, let's say you are licensed. Okay. Do the rules change at all for you? Or do you still have to do it the same way? Rules change. You have to do everything we just talked about, and you have to always make sure that you disclose in writing that you're a licensed real estate agent acting as a principal on your own behalf. Right. So does it it make it easier to assign contracts if you're an agent? No. Okay. No, I don't see where it makes it any easier. You still need to have the intent. You still need to have the intent capacity. If you're licensed. But it may make it easier to sell them because then you can, depending upon your relationship with your broker, you can sell your own stuff. But you better make sure that if you're allowed to sell your own stuff and you put a sign in the yard, you better make sure that that sign complies with whatever your state requires as to, you know, agent owner or seller as a broker or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you some questions about lease options, Jeff. Um, mm. I love sandwich lease options. Because okay, I there's a part there's a part of the sandwich lease option that scares me. So keep going, man. Well, we'll I love I love a good sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, it allows you to control property without owning it, right? And with an options allow you to do that, yes. And leases allow you to do that, yes. That's right. So if you do it right, you can control a really valuable piece of real estate 
that has cash flow and some equity in it. And yes, yes, because you can, you can capture cash flow with the lease and you can capture the equity appreciation with the option. Yes. Yes. Some of that's built in, some of that option, that equity can grow over time. So it's a great way to buy the nice, the more expensive real estate without actually having to go get a mortgage. And I'm not triggering any to do on sale clauses by taking over the mortgages subject to. So maybe there's a place for that. But for me, in my opinion, lease options are a little easier. They raise fewer red flags. Would you agree a with lease that? Option, a lease option with the right to sublease is vastly superior to a subject to because title doesn't transfer. Mm-hmm. I can always in my lease be able to get out if the neighborhood changes. I can, you know, say, hey, listen, it renews every year. And you've got the ability to, you know, get hit the eject button if you're out of a bad deal. With a subject to deal, you can't do that. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that respect. I mean, I think the only area that I have concern with lease options is if you're marketing the property for an end buyer when you only have a leasehold interest and an option to buy, you don't have the right to market the property. You have the right to look for a subtenant and you have the right to market your option, but you don't have the right to sell the house. So that's hair splitting in most people's eyes, but believe me, investigators and regulators can splice that hair really well. So even though I'm staying in the middle, how, what is the right way to advertise for a tenant buyer on that property you have a right to sell? See, I wouldn't be looking for a tenant buyer. I'd be looking for a tenant. Okay. Okay, you're advertising for a tenant because you've got the right under your lease with the right to sublease. Mm-hmm. You've got the right to sublease. You're a principal, so you can go look for tenants all day long. And when you're screening your tenants, you can figure out which ones may look like someone who would be interested in stepping into your shoes as it relates to your option. You following me? Well, yeah. No, yes and no, but like I'm, I'm planning on staying in the middle of this deal for five years. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you can give them an option on your option. Or you can say, listen, you know, I will sell you or I will assign my option to you in four years provided you you know, remain a model tenant, Okay. something like that. But as far as running out and advertising the house, looking for a buyer of the house, you're right back into that same jackpot. A lot of wholesalers are doing wrong. Hmm. Unless Mr. McCall, you have the written approval from the owner of record, allowing you to do it as a licensed agent. And that's why you probably became a licensed agent. Yeah, I'd have to, we maybe should talk offline. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's how sure you're I doing have, it. I'm not sure I have that in my contract written down. But um, I, be, I bet you if you look for it, you'll find it. I bet you. Yeah. Okay, so um, so even though I'm staying in the middle and I, I'm subleasing it out, I'm mm-hmm. still on the hook for paying that rent to the seller on the A to B side every month, right? Yes. I'm just subleasing yes. it out. I still yes. need to be careful about advertising the house. I yes. shouldn't do that. You need to be very careful about advertising a house because are you advertising the house as an agent working on behalf of the owner of record? Well, and great. Go ahead and do it. Are you advertising the house because you have an option on it? Danger zone, danger zone. 
Are you advertising the house because you have a leasehold in it and want to sublease? Well, then you're looking for a tenant, not a you know, not a okay. not for someone to buy the house. So, so how, you got to think about what you're doing. If I'm, I I need to advertise for a tenant, then but how do I let them know it's I I, I want to do a lease option on the B to C side. How do I let them know? When you interview them, when you have a face to face conversation with them, hmm. that's when I do it. Okay. That's what I do. And you know, hey, how long are you looking to rent this house for? I mean, if they're looking, if they come to you, Joe, and they go, listen, we're looking for a place for the next year because I think I'm going to get transferred. You know, I'm working for whatever XYZ company and XYZ company is probably going to transfer me out a year. They're not your huckleberry. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But if they come to you and they go, man, we are just looking for a place in this school district. We've got three kids and their ages, boom, boom, boom. And we need to be in this school district for the next 10 years. There's your Huckleberry. Provided they've got money and they've got credit that you can get rehabbed and cleaned up in about four years. You're there. Bang. There's your person. And it all came down to you listen to them when you talk to them. Okay. Let's talk about your favorite subject. Because we've got three minutes. Co-wholesaling. Oh. <laughs> oh. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. Why not? It is Wait. so freaking illegal to be pimping somebody else's deal. You're not a party to the contract. You're not a principal. You don't have a written joint venture agreement that establishes the entity before it went into contract on that property. You've got no legal basis to market that house. What you're probably doing is doing what I call the spray and pray method, hoping that some greater fool will come along and want to pay too much for a house that you can then run out and get under contract to assign and flip over to them from somebody else. And don't do it. Okay, just don't do it. I mean, I've had clients call me up going, dude, somebody's trying to wholesale my house back to me. And I love it because I give them a very specific action plan of what to do to make that person's life so miserable make them realize that they've been taught something wrong and that they're in jeopardy of who knows what is the penalties in their state you know co-wholesaling is wrong 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 and i'm going to tell you something else there are two slides in a slide deck that i managed to snag from one of the arello presentations one of them was on co-wholesaling one of them was on reverse wholesaling both topics are hot button no-nos in the eyes of a lot of investigators and regulators. Don't do it. Basically what we're talking about is finding the buyers first, then Through finding, false advertising, and then finding a property for them. That is broker. Trying to and trying to match them. That's brokering. Yeah, it's exactly. You're trying to match up people. All right. You know? We've got one minute left, Jeff. You told me a hard shut off. How yep. can people get a hold of you and watch those videos where you you interviewed the uh, Commission people. Watsoninvested.com. Watsoninvested.com. W A T S O N I N V E S T E D dot C O M. Watsoninvested.com. Check it out. It's my blog, wholesaling videos, a lot of other stuff in there. Trying to clean it up, make it a lot more user friendly. Uh, kind of going down the story brand road with that ah. one. And um, Donald Miller, genius of a I guy. Love that guy. I genius of a guy. <laughs> I have his book around here somewhere, but um, yeah, his, his book is sitting. His book is actually sitting on my bed with a great <laughs> okay. big notebook. Yes, I've been to his workshop. I've been to his two day workshop. It was really good. 
Yeah. Oh, I, he blew my, he blew my mind when I was at entree leadership a couple of months ago. I mean, I was like, Oh, yep. I knew so little. And then I realized just how bad I was at stuff, you know? <laughs> all right. Watsoninvested.com and yep. all of the stuff we talked about is there's links in the show notes. Jeff, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. It's really valuable. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon, Jeff. All right, Joe. Thank you so very much. Peace. God bless. And thank you for letting me chat with you, man. Right. Really appreciate it. Peace. See you guys. Realestateinvestingmastery.com and uh, watsoninvested.com. See you later. Bye-bye.